Alrighty, hello everyone, and welcome back to the Reformed Dissenters, the show where Reformed Christians dissent against popular ideas of culture by asserting a biblical worldview. My name is Bruce Johnson, joined, of course, by my brother Jacob Johnson. Hello, everybody. And we are excited to have you joining us today. This is our very first literature episode with our brand new book of the month. Of course, this is our first week in February, so we, of course, are starting a new book, which is very exciting. So we had the big announcement for this last week. If you missed that, you're not following us on Gab, Instagram, Facebook, or Getter. So, you know, pick one of those and follow us on those pages because we announced this so that you would have enough time to order your own copy of this book. The book we're going through, you'll see on our shelves. It's uh, called Angels in the Architecture by Douglas Jones and Douglas Wilson. So Super cool book. Um, we're going to be talking today a little bit about what's in the book, a little bit of an introduction to this concept um, that this book is trying to convey, and then we're going to delve right into chapter one. So some very, very exciting stuff. So hopefully you have your copy of this and you're ready to read along. Um, sounds like a kid's show. <laughs> read along <laughs> with us. Here we go. Um, but we always, we always say, especially when we're starting out with a new book, always, always want to point you to get your own copy of this because that's kind of part of what this show segment is all about is highlighting books that we think really need to be highlighted that people don't know about and that we highlight it so that you can see it and buy your own copy of it so that it it causes you to be like ooh I want to know more because we only get to a fraction of what's in each chapter there's so so much more in all the books we've read so this is not a comprehensive covering of these books. This is a pointing you in the right direction and getting your um, taste buds ready for more, right? <laughs> it's like and it's like an appetizer before the meal. So order the meal. Um, you can order this meal from canonplus.com, um, canonpress.com, not plus. Plus is the, um, the Disney Plus alternative with awesome, awesome content instead of, you know, ridiculously disgusting content. Canon Plus is the Amazon alternative, woohoo, with equally awesome content. So check that out. Um, we have a website as well. If you want to check it out, you know, it's not as cool as canonpress.com where they've got all these freaking awesome books, but it's still a website. trdshow.net is where you can go to find us on a bunch of platforms and send us a message through our contact form. You can sign up from our, for our newsletter there. You can get access to a bunch of cool features, including free merch. If you'd like that, free stickers, free mugs like this mug right here, which I think is, is kind of cool. But then again, I'm a smidge biased. Um, you can get all that kind of stuff on our show website, trdshow.net. Check it out. Send us an email, trdshow at protonmail.com with your thoughts about what we talk about on the show. So today, like I said, we're getting into Angels in the Architecture by Douglas Wilson and Douglas Jones talking about chapter one. Before we get into all that cool content modernity versus medievalism, um, medieval Protestantism, the importance of beauty, um, all of that kind of stuff. Like, ooh, what is this? We have to talk about our verse of the week. And it's Wednesday, so Jake, take it away, dude. Alrighty, and our verse this week is Daniel 7, verse 14. And it says, And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom, that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. 
<clears throat> and my all right so instead of a deep theological discussion i know that's what we typically do here on the show but i think because we've talked about this verse before this is like our second week talking about this verse i wanted to take this one and do it a little bit differently and bruce and i have talked about the dominion mandate before but i want to mention it again and do something a little bit different like i've been saying with it uh and so i want to first go to genesis 1 and this verse says and god blessed them and god said to them be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth and so and end quote that was yeah, the end uh this here is what we take as the Dominion Mandate. When Bruce and I refer to the Dominion Mandate, this is what we're talking about. I think we've brought that up before. Hopefully that was just mm -hmm. a quick and uh, a fresh reminder of, you know, of that. However, let me quickly show what that Dominion looks like. Um, and we do, not have, we do not have to look far into the future. Uh, we do not have to imagine what the future will look like. Um, but instead, we can look to the past at the founding of America in order to get a good vision of what this Dominion mandate looks like uh, successfully, what it looks like in, in, in an actual society. Now, Alexis de Tocqueville, for those that don't know, he was a surveyor of America when America was a new founded country and a new area. People... Was were wondering, what is this place? What what's going on over there? So Alexis de Tocqueville was an explorer, someone who went over there and was just seeing what America was like, what it was. So in this, in his overview of early America, uh, he saw several different th different things, and he he saw this one particular aspect. He saw that America had a very religious background. And things were basically, you know, run entirely on religion. However, it was not like in the days of the Reformation, where the state was one run by the church, and there was a almost forced religion, and the state was not sovereign, was not the sovereign ruler either. C Christianity and religion was was understood. It was the sovereign ruler. It was the one over everything. Religion was the highest at that point. And, and it was so much permeated through culture and society that even unbelievers had an, a Christian ethic. Uh, America was Christian without the state forcing an establishment of, of religion or the church ruling over the people as if it were the state. The society is what is, the society, this, sorry, this society is what is meant by the dominion mandate. When, and also the kingdom of God. This is what a, a good biblical society is supposed to look like. And we need to get back to that. We need to make sure we try and, that, that's our goal. And I think Bruce and I have gone over several times what our goal is. And, you know, we've also touched on how we get to that goal. 
And what's the point of that? So God has given us a plan and he's given us a strategy in order to realize that plan. We just need to start working on that strategy. So, yeah. Yeah. Those are great points. Love the uh, historical tie in and yeah. You were like, hey, this is this is not so this is gonna be different. This is not a deep theological breakdown. Two paragraphs later. So Alexis to Tocqueville. <laughs> like, oh, okay. All right. All right, cool. <laughs> yeah, that was that was yeah. very informative. So thank for, you. For those for those that don't know, I'm a very big history person. I like yeah. I like history a lot. And, and you can judiciary like person. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. So, um, hopefully, we have a lot of those history buffs and history nerds and people who just love the fantastical and are really not fans of modernity listening to our show, because that's what we're going to be talking about the next month, the whole rest of February, probably part of March as well, if not all of March. We are going to be talking about the differences between the fantastical, the beautiful, the good, um, the beauty of this world as opposed of particularly the medieval protestant world as opposed to uh what what uh doug wilson and and um douglas jones refer to in this book as modernity what cold uh metal cold solid modernity has done in the name of of um sanitizing everything so this is really going to be quite uh, an interesting, in-depth look into a period of, of history. And it, it's going to be less of a theological, uh, uh, you know, hard and fast theological study as opposed to examining a culture, examining a period of Christendom, and examining what that culture looked like as opposed to what we live in now, and attempting to get back to that from pulling out the good from that culture and seeing uh, how we can apply that today, how we can go back to that. We're going to talk a little bit more about what that whole process looks like later, but that's kind of the gist of this book. So this will be, this will be really cool. I'm really, really excited about delving into this topic because I think it's, it's dramatically different from what we've done up until this point. And I think we really need this at this point. So the purpose of this book, modernity versus medievalism page 15. Um, this book says modernity or medievalism. That is admit, admittedly an odd choice, and it is the topic of this admittedly odd book. But at our place in history, it appears to be the only choice before us. This book aims to answer the question above by defending the impossible Christian medievalism, end quote. So that's kind of what this book is addressing, is that dichotomy between medieval, fantastical, beautiful um simpler world and our current modern world where we think we know everything and we actually know nothing we've lost so much knowledge and we pretend like we've gained so much which is a lie page 16 um i'll say doug wilson just because i that's a name that i know and it rolls off the tongue but also douglas jones co-wrote this book as well so when i say doug wilson i also mean doug wilson and 
Doug Jones. So um, I've just never heard of Douglas Jones before. So I don't know. <laughs> Maybe we'll have to look into him, some of his books as well. Cause I, I know on the back of that, uh, of this book, it lists a few that he's written. So, Hey, maybe sometime in the future, we'll look some of those up. Um, but on page 16, Doug Wilson said modernity and it's natural, natural child postmodernity. Um, I'm sorry, postmodernity. I can't do words today are pleased with their rejection of truth, beauty, and goodness. The three faces of culture. In their place, they unfold the tired, wrinkled banners of a tedious rationalism and socially just sentimentalism, end quote. And so that's kind of a, an undercurrent. That's a theme that shows up all throughout um, the rest of the chapters in this book. We've kind of looked ahead and we've looked at a few of the next couple of chapters, or at least I, I've poked into a few of them because I was so interested and I couldn't stop reading because it's such a cool book. Um, but this this comes up a lot, talking about truth, beauty, and goodness, and those three facets, and all the ways that they play out in a culture. On page seventeen, kind of continuing this theme of fleshing out, well, what is this? What is this uh, medieval Protestantism we're talking about? What is it that we're trying to get back to? What is it this book is breaking down and examining? Kind of fleshing that out even further. On page seventeen, Doug Wilson said. So the future is either with modernity or Christian medievalism. But why medievalism and not just vanilla evangelicalism? Modern evangelicalism is just that, modern, in love with modernity, in love with individualism, egalitarianism, and perfect boxes. Like, like other moderns, evangelicals have no love of beauty. It is at most optional and indifferent, not the rhythm of life. Christian medievalism, however, presents us with a view of a whole life full of truth, beauty, goodness, and all their nasty contraries. The medieval period is the closest thing we have to a, to a maturing Christian culture. It was a culture unashamed of Christ and one sharply at odds with the values of modernity, end quote. So glowing review of this period of time from Doug Wilson. Um, so. With all of that being said, it certainly seems like it's worth a peek, at least looking at what, how did these people live? Um, understanding deeper what their philosophies were, what their mental, ment what their mentality was, how they thought through things, the structures they built, um, the theology that they held and how that caused them to live different lives than we live lives today. Um, and so in the rest of the, the following pages in this book, that's kind of a big part of what Doug Wilson covers, which is really, really cool. So um, I have a section and a half <clears throat> that I want to get through. And then I'm going to pass it off to Jake to talk a little bit more about the importance of beauty in Christian society, because that played a huge role in this chapter. And it's going to play a huge role in the following chapters as well. But before that, let's... <clears throat> excuse me, let's delve just a smidge deep, deeper into medieval Protestantism. So we're spending an entire month with this book. What exactly are we trying to get at here? Uh, page 18, uh, the book says, the, Rever uh, the Reformation was real war, and we dare not give up the victories gained there. But how do we live after the nightly air raids have stopped? This is the vision of medieval Protestantism. I can say that word, Protestantism. There it is. <laughs> a view that picks up the discussion where medievalism was silenced by a tyrannical Rome and blinding enlightenment. Medieval Protestantism is certainly not a longing to live in medieval times and wear their funny hats. 
It's an attempt to continue that Christian discussion of truth, beauty, and goodness that was cut so short, end quote. So again, just to reiterate what was said there, we're not like saying, oh, we want to completely replicate everything about their culture and we want to live back in those days. No, God has put us where we are today for a reason. He's given us the advances in technology that we have today. He's given us the, the knowledge that we do have today and we've gained from science. We have gained some things, right? But we've also lost so, so much. We have massive gaping holes in our culture today, mentally, emotionally, logically. We've given up on reason. We've given up on morality, philosophy, on beauty, on art, on good music. We've given up on so much and we have so many huge rotting holes in our culture. What we're trying to do is supplant what's there with the good, with the true, and with the beautiful. And and Doug Wilson's premise in this book is we can find so much of that in medieval Protestantism. So that's the goal. Page 21, I'll wrap up this section on what is medieval Protestantism by saying um, some of the elements involved in medieval Protestantism, he lists a bunch of these on page 21. Um, so I'm only going to list a few because I don't want to just like do a direct copy of like two whole paragraphs <laughs> but if you're wondering what some of the principles are that we're going to be discussing throughout the rest of this book go to page 21 he lists over like two paragraphs just thing after thing after thing after thing just comma separated lists that are just massive so if you're wondering what all the different principles are check them out there uh, but i'll list a few of them here's here's a quote from page 21 through these and so many more and so much more we find all the elements of medieval protestantism elements we try to lay out in the following pages namely here we go a love of beauty an augustinian appreciation for the sovereignty of god the importance of celebration a covenantal wholeness of family and society a submissive uh, submissive hierarchical hierarchy i'm just going to hierarchicalism there it is <laughs> <laughs> Words are so, oh my goodness. Respect for good traditions, sphere, uh, sphere sovereignty, a skepticism of novelty, and a triumphant, peaceful hope for the future of Christendom, end quote. My tongue is very heavy today. <laughs> I'm like very tired. So <laughs> trying to get some of this out. It's uh, We're recording this on a Monday and it was a typical Monday for me. So very much a uh, a Monday. Yeah. My brain is is half asleep <laughs> and my tongue is too, apparently. Um, but anyways, that's all up on screen. So you can actually read all the words that my sleepy head wasn't able to pronounce. Um, but anyways, those are a ton of principles. We're going to be discussing so, so much in this book. And probably, I, I mean, I didn't, and you probably didn't either think that we could derive all of these principles from the medieval dark ages period of history i mean everyone looks back at that and laughs but as we're going to discuss very shortly they're laughing for a different reason they're laughing because they're ashamed of what they're missing now in their lives they're laughing because they're ashamed of what their modernity what their science has actually brought them which is despair is depression is cold uh darkness so we're going to talk a lot more about that in a second so I want to introduce the importance of beauty in a Christian culture, Christian society, and then pass it off to Jake to kind of discuss that and flesh that out a little further. Um, but page 19, Doug Wilson, Douglas Jones, they both said, all of us are led on, led on by beauty. 
it seems to be the way God designed us. We can never know enough uh, arguments to be omniscient, but we can judge fruit, and beauty is fruit. Why are we so confident that beauty isn't a path to truth? More modern lies, I suspect. Scripture tells us that God beautifies a people by salvation, Psalm 149, verse 4, and that holiness itself is beautiful, Psalm 29, verse 2, end quote. And again, page 19 to the top of page 20, he goes through so, so much more in terms of developing this idea of beauty, um, in terms of salvation and beauty leading you to truth, leading you to the God you worship. Um, but I'll let Jake say a little bit more on that topic. Yeah. And um, Bruce ended up taking one of my quotes that I had. Oh, sorry. But <laughs> no, no, that's fine. Uh, you set up the discussion quite well. Um, so, you know, obviously the, the main argument against this is that we shouldn't be focusing on worldly beauty and focusing on worldly things, uh, which that, that is idolatry. You're focusing on beauty itself. That's idolatry. And uh, Doug Wilson, again, this might not exactly be Doug Wilson, his quote. It might be Douglas Jones, or it's just one of them. So we'll just say Doug. How about we do that? How about we just say Doug? Doug said. Do that. Douglas, whoever. <laughs> whoever said <laughs> um or even the book says or whatever doesn't matter you get the point the audience gets the point okay <laughs> the writer said but, yeah the writer said yes um <laughs> my my quote is found on page 20 uh right after and it's actually right after bruce's quote that he just gave um and this quote is idolatry can never be truly beautiful and you know he's it's almost as if he's trying to combat the that argument that I just brought up that if we focus on beauty, it's idolatry. Um, and he's saying that, you know, he's kind of trying to make this difference here. Idolatry isn't beautiful. We are focusing on God's beauty and we're mm. focusing on things that are from God and what God defines as beautiful. Yeah. Um, Doug Wilson Again, I don't, I don't know what we're gonna do, but um, the writer, the writer, goes on continually through this, bringing up, um, bringing up this contrast: modernity versus medieval Protestantism, and saying, "Ah, it's not just me." Yeah, Protestantism. <laughs> yes, um, is which in another quote from it? I'm just gonna paraphrase. This is not an actual not an exact quote but to paraphrase uh which is more beautiful which one is more beautiful uh modernity or uh medieval protestantism um so you know he brings up a bunch of different things and i think in the end his kind of conclusion is is found in this other quote that i will say right now this is again on page 20 um medieval protestantism is the most beautiful vision of reality of the good life the modernity has to fail and medievalism has to triumph in middle earth um and he goes on to talk about how we grasp how we understand medieval protestantism and why it is beautiful so Moving on to my, my next quote, my, my final quote here, 
Um, and really, like Doug Wilson or whoever, the writer, is talking about how we grasp this, how we understand this. Um, and so I'll just, I'll just give the quote here on page 21. Uh, the writer says, what are the features then which make up medieval Protestantism? The best way to grasp them is to, want to immerse oneself in medieval literature, um, end quote. And he goes on to explain several different pieces of medieval li literature. Uh, when you get this book, you should get this book. Um, go to page twenty-one and look at these all these different um, all these different books of medieval literature. And I'm thinking I might have to expand my library soon. Yes, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Especially these, because what he's saying is we're getting a sense of what that beauty is. Yeah. Um, from these books, it talks about the beauty. It talks about these different things. Um, and he says that there are much more elements in each of these books. There are a lot more other topics being explained in these books. However, hopefully from the book, you will kind of get a mental picture, if you will, of what the medieval era looked like, what the beauty looked like. Uh, again, these books talk about multiple different uh, things. Like one of the books is Dante's Divine Comedy. Obviously, it is talking about something completely different um, in that story. However, yeah, the explanation of what things look like should give you a good sense. Um, but yeah, that is that is my last quote. So I will pass it Sweet. back over to Bruce. Yeah, well, that's awesome. Thanks for bringing in a lot of those, Jake. Um, and as we go through the rest of this book, we're going to be talking about this a lot more. Like I said, the main overarching theme, the guiding principles we're going to discuss are truth, goodness, and beauty. Um, so we're going to develop, uh, say we, we're going to read and learn about and then share with you <laughs> what we've learned and read <laughs> in terms of those three types of principles. So this will be really cool. I'm super excited. So just to kind of add to the case for medieval Protestantism, um, you know, it's funny, like last year was the the year of the cases. It was like the the case for Christian nationalism. It was the case for the Christian family. It's uh, now we've got the, the case for medieval Protestantism. Here we go. Um, but I, I, two quotes that I think really wrap things up well, give us a bow on top, as Anthony Brian Logan would say. <laughs> Put it all, wrap it all up with a bow on top, right? Um, and kind of summarize what we've been talking about for the last half hour. So page 19, um, the book says, When we commune with medieval thinking, we learn to see how silly modern uh, project is. I think it, I'll get the right word. That'll be up on screen. Um, and we start to understand why modernity hates medievalism. It cannot speak about it without going red in the face. Modernity's hatred of all things medieval should be reason enough for Christians to desire it. After all, if modernity hates medievalism so much, there must be something wonderful there. End quote. And we don't stop there, but that's like, well, why does modernity hate this so much? Mm -hmm. <clears throat> if the same people that brought you moral relativism also bring you a hatred of medievalism, the uh, the enemy of my enemy, as it were, <laughs> yeah, yeah. is my friend. And so we're going to examine that friend today. Well, throughout the rest of this month. Page 22. 
really good wrap up. And this kind of pertains to uh, what we were t discussing a little bit earlier. But the quote is medieval Protestantism is not a call to a movement. It is a call for meditation and living out the good life, one family at a time. We so often talk of worldview thinking and applying the Bible to every area of life, but that is all too often just a skeleton of a theory. The medievals actually lived it, imperfectly, yes, but still much better than anything in modernity, end quote. So that this, this quote right here pretty much perfectly summarizes why we decided to go with this book. Because that's been our mission from day one, right? Our verse on the show is Matthew 5.13. Salt and light. What is salt and light? Well, let's dig one layer deeper into the onion, if you will. Being salt and light means preserving culture, but it also means living differently so that you stand out. And if you live according to the word of God, you will stand out. Okay, great. So we've learned those two principles. What does that mean? That's very vague. So we delve in a little bit deeper. And there, on that level, we learn about Kingdom, kingdom living, kingdom-oriented Christianity. We learn about the hope of the future. We learn about Christ is victorious. Christ is reigning, and he's very slowly taking over every inch of this earth. There's not one inch, not one square inch on this earth where Christ doesn't say mine, as Van Til is very famously quoted as saying. Um, so then we also learn about the dominion mandate, and we learn about all of those things, and we learn about applying scripture to all of life. So that's the next layer. But what does that actually mean? So now we go another layer deeper and we start getting into all of this kind of stuff. We start learning about culture. We start learning about beauty. We start learning about work, which we're going to talk about on Friday. We start learning about all the different facets of society. And then we start really studying and living the Bible every single day, every minute of every day. And the interesting thing is that we're not the first people to do this. We're not even the second group of people to do this or the third group of people to do this. This has been done lots of times throughout history. We need to go back and study that and improve, obviously, on where they failed because they aren't around today. So something went wrong. So we fix that, but we get back on track. It's like what happened during the Reformation, which gets brought up a lot throughout this chapter because the Reformation was not a brand new religion, Protestantism. It was a fixing. It was going back to what the Catholic Church was before it was before it distorted the doctrines of the Bible. So we need a revival, a reformation today. And going back to the medieval society and seeing how they lived is exactly is one of the best ways to do that. So that's what this book advocates for. That's why we chose this book, and that's why we're spending this month and probably March. Let's be honest. If you know us, it usually <laughs> we'll we'll, spend, yeah. we'll draw it out and yeah. really take like two whole months with the book because. It's good stuff. You know, why gloss over it? Um, but we're excited to, to chat about this stuff. So anything you want to add before we wrap up, Jake? Nope. Nope. All right. Sweet. Thank you also so much for watching, listening, all the stuff. Please, 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 please. We beg of you like this video. Please like this video. So many views. It's wonderful. No likes or five likes. And we know we get at least 30 or 40 people watching all of our videos on so many platforms. We get so many downloads. We get so many, like, we need the likes. We need five-star reviews. We need people letting us know that they've watched our stuff and they enjoy it. So like it, please share it. Um, we'd, we'd really, really appreciate that. So if you um, like what we're doing, if you like the research we're putting into this, if you like the time we've spent and the resources we bring to your attention, really, we're not asking for money. We're asking for a button click. That's all we're asking for. It ain't that hard, people. 
Thank you so much in advance for doing that. Check out our show website, trdshow.net. Send us an email, trdshow at protonmail.com. And we're looking forward to seeing you on Friday. And remember, everyone, in all that you do, do it as unto the Lord. Mm-hmm.